Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of I Cast Fireball, an actual play 5e D&D adventure where we go through the campaign Tyranny of Dragons. I'm Thomas, your DM for this venture, and around the table we have... Mickey, and I play Malamara. Jacob, and I play Lance Thalen. Ned, and I play Fleeple. And Josh, who plays Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. Played or plays? <laughs> should, should it be past tense? Well, Ralph is dead to all of us, so... Ralph is dead to all of us. <laughs> Rest in peace. This is a special episode of iCast Fireball. It's our word of recall with our special guest, Josh. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me back. Um, We are going to be talking about the episodes that Josh uh, guest starred, as well as moving all the way forward up into the Council of Waterdeep. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun. We've asked all of you to submit your questions, and we will do our best to get through every single one of them. And uh, we're just real excited, Josh, to have you back on for our ninth episode, I think it is. Yeah. Seven episodes and Crunch Squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just glad that we've had you for enough episodes that we forget how many it's been. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that is good. Uh, It's it's a good time. It's always a good time when Josh is here, buddy. I'll end up being that guy on your guys' recording that doesn't get recorded, but just sitting there watching you all play. That's the... (laughs) (laughs) Has that... Has that ever happened, you guys? Have you guys ever played like D and D in a room? Yes. And there was someone who was not part of the party that's just sitting there. Not, not that circumstance. But my brother was going to join a session. This is years ago. It was his first time playing, and I'm like, it's gonna be fun. Three hours later, the DM still has not introduced my brother's character. My brother literally took his oh, dog no. on a walk for 45 minutes, came back, and was still just like, Mrah. so. Ugh. That's awful. <laughs> How Not to DM, another good podcast. Well, uh, shout out to How Not to DM with Derek over there. But we're going to jump into some of these questions that we uh, were had submitted by you, the fans. And we're going to do the same thing we did last time. So, Ned, last time you had rolled a fate die, and we had three different categories. The first category that we had was, and that we have this time, is character-specific questions. Second category is campaign moment questions. And then the third is what we have dubbed, well, not we, rather, the rest of the cast have dubbed Lonely Thomas, um, of questions just for the DM uh, that I will do my best to answer. sounds like the name of like a great drink at a a dive bar. (laughs) (laughs) Just pour me a Lonely Thomas. Give me a Lonely Thomas. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to roll my fate die here. If it's a minus, we get a character-specific question. If it's blank, we get a campaign moment question. And if it's a plus, we get a lonely Thomas question. That is a minus. We're starting with a character question. I will start it out with our amazing guest, Josh. Many of our questions actually center on Josh because of how intricate he was, obviously, in this arc and how much we got to know this new character and just how fun and amazing it was. So I'll start out with a question for Josh where it says, this question was given to us by Mark Wells. And it says, for Josh, it was really fun watching your subterfuge. Any recommendations on playing a spy on a party? Uh, The best way to play a spy on a party is to not be a spy and then become a spy. Like you just play play it like a regular party member. You're not trying to actually be a spy. 
but then you just flip that switch. You know what I mean? Kind of like a narcissist. Like you just pretend for a long time that you're not the bad guy until you need to be the bad guy. And then you can use all of that great information that you've gained in game, in a game of D&D as a character. That's uh, <laughs> not IRL. Uh, but yeah, I will corroborate that uh, I've had a few different characters who've wanted to play uh, evil characters who eventually were going to betray the party. And without fail, the ones who were most successful were the ones who didn't let the party know that they were evil until the decisive moment. But I mean, Ralph wasn't evil, guys. Ralph wasn't a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Didn't, leave the, he didn't leave the party with a uh, water elemental and said, you guys got this, and then shut the door by himself. But... Uh, I, yeah, absolutely, and uh, it definitely helps, um, I think, when you have ironed a few behind-the-scene details with your, your DM. 100%. To, to where it informs you as the player to know, this is my time. This is the moment to reveal um, when things start hitting the fan. Obviously, with the guest appearance, it's a lot easier for that to come to fruition a lot sooner. For an ongoing campaign, you'd have to work with the GM to figure that out on your own. Yeah, if you if you try to pull up a, like a, I'm a spy thing without talking to your DM, that's a that's gonna be a problem. You you might get a lightning bolt right to the heart. Well, since we're veering in this direction, we actually have another question that's pretty similar. This is kind of a probably Josh and Thomas question that why was Ralph working for the enemy? What discussion made that happen? That comes from Emberglow Treasures. Why was Josh, or rather Ralph, working for the enemy? All right. I have to go like look at our conversation. We had a long, long conversation uh, via Discord. Um, we had a lot of conversations about like, hey, uh, I, I kind of let Josh know. We talk a lot, Thomas. We do. I, we I, do. I, I've got to go way back in my in our chat to like, <laughs> like, hey, here we're talking about kids. Do the control and home. Okay, all right, all right. See, get all the way to the top. <laughs> But yeah, I I had let Josh know like right up front. I was like, hey, we um we want you to be on the show. And then when he agreed, uh, I tried to make give him like a lot of options while at the same time saying, this is the arc that I think would be most satisfying to occur. Uh, so this is like what the party is going to be uh, encountering. This is what I'm hoping um, they accomplish. And uh, and it really was just like they. Uh, it, it was it was really open ended. It wasn't like they are, they are gonna get vandal. They're not gonna have. By the way, if you haven't figured out spoilers for all of Icast Fireball um, up to this point, um, so you should know that going into a word of recall. But yeah, I I, I don't think it was like oh, I'm gonna have vandal come out. This is gonna be like Jacob's whole or Lance's whole like uh, arc at this moment. It was just kind of like, this is what I think is going to happen. I think I presented a possible heist situation to you, actually. Like, I was like, yeah, it's going to be a casino and things like that. I found the conversation. Yeah. You you first pitched it to me and said, like, so we're playing in Faerun and uh, if you, if you, if there's like a, you said if there's a guild that tickles your fancy, like within the, the world of Faerun, like uh, you mentioned like someone recently became a harper. And so I have always been fascinated by the Zentrum just because they're so shady and, and whatnot. So I pitched being I pitched being an Elven Bladesinger of the Zentrum and with no context of any of your guys' background. And so Thomas then like very deftly wove that in to being a much more narrative connect, which was not not my initial intent, but it's cool. The funny thing about that is I, I said to myself, I was like, all right, 
This will be good because it will introduce the other uh, guilds in in preparation for uh, the Council of Waterdeep, and you know, as like the whole land is coming together. Uh, and if you listen to some of Council of Waterdeep, it, they've talked about how uh, there are different guilds there that are represented. And I was like, perfect. Since uh, as long as Josh does not choose the Zentarum, this will be a perfect tie-in leading into the Council of Waterdeep. And then the first thing he said was like. I want to be in the Zentarum. I was like, "All right, cool." There were there were five five choices, uh, <laughs> and uh, he chose the one. All right, we'll we'll work this out. Yeah, the odds of probability don't actually work in D and D. It's all just what the story wants to happen. Exactly. And so I do. I, whenever I, I'm stumped, I, I do what I always do, and I go to my wife, and I go, "Hey, I'm having this." question about what I should do in the podcast. What do you think I should do? And she comes up with a perfect solution. So then she's like, well, and then we talked about Lance and his backstory with Zentarum and it really worked out to weave it all into there and to have it become what it has become already. Man, when he saw the tattoo, God, that was cool. That was such an intense moment. Yeah. And uh, I, it, it was fun. And I fed a lot of, uh, of the background information, obviously not related to directly to the adventure of tyranny of dragons of just like who vandal was what your relationship with his with uh, with him is and basically all i said was uh vandal wants lance and he knows he's in neverwinter you need to go check in on him basically and then i i let him know a little bit about like and if resmir's there handle it and that was kind of it and so from there, Josh made a lot of the decisions uh, as Ralph from that point. I, I definitely, the initial intent for me, like wanting to do the Zenterm route was not to be an enemy, like was not to like play an enemy character. It was definitely, I wanted to be like a, um, if you've ever watched like anime, like the information broker character that is like, uh, that like always knows a little bit more than they let on. And you can never tell if they're there to help the main character or, or if they're actually like a big bad guy in behind the scenes. I wanted to kind of fit into that archetype, not to, not with any narrative purpose, just because I really love those characters. I love how you never know what, you know, kind of Jarlaxle-esque, if anybody is big in the Faerun world, or Talon Card from Star Wars Legacy books. Yeah, those are those are some good pulls. So, that, but the fact that it ended up being like, oh, I'm actually like, I'm actually working for someone who's very bad. Like that was, it added a great wrinkle. Well, the... this this actually adds a lot to. Uh, we're just running through these Josh questions, but there's one more that I think applies to kind of the theme, and then we can jump to another one. And it, it kind of connects to what you're saying because you didn't want to be a bad guy, but at the same time you had kind of a mission plan out. And our question is from Matt G, where it said, "Did Josh have any sort of plan as to what he wanted Ralph to accomplish?" We've kind of talked about what Vandal was telling Ralph to do, but this is more getting into the psyche of Ralph the character. What was Ralph's really main objective? Did he want to escape with the mask? Was he just looking for any opportunity that he saw? And kind of what was your motivation kind of, or your goals in your, or what were Ralph's goals for you, Josh? Um, I think Ralph's goals are like a rotating door. Like I think it's, it's, um, it's like in this moment, what decision, what thing will serve me best in terms of like, giving me either the most protection, the most security, you know, like whether it's pleasing my betters or uh, acquiring some sort of wealth or, you know, ability. So I don't know that he has like a, I don't think that Ralph has like a five-year plan. Like, I don't think he has 
goals that are very big for himself. I definitely think it's very much like day-to-day, moment-to-moment. And so the, yeah, I mean, he had a mission from Vandal to figure out what's going on with Lance, why why we're hearing about, like, we're hearing Scuttle that he's around and he's supposed to be dead. And I think uh, the other side of that is I'm, I was also looking for the dragon mask and to out Resmir, I, th- I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's ironic that you say that um, Ralph doesn't have a five-year plan considering he's an elf and uh, they live for so, for, for, so long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's very... I do feel like he's a very wounded dog. Like, he's, like, like he's jovial and, and jokey about it all, but I think very unhappy character in, in, you know, not satisfied with life much at all. To just take us down a notch, because I feel like we're having too much okay, fun. Well, yes, <laughs> on that lovely note, shall I roll the die again? Yes, let's go and roll the die. All right. That is a plus. So this is a Thomas question. Uh, I guess I'll select one from that. Uh, this question comes from Michael Sear. How big of a deal was it when the Jank squad killed both Mondath and Resmir? Uh, first off, Michael, love you. Good hearing from you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, man, it was a big deal. Uh, <laughs> that was amazing pretty big freaking deal at that point i was like oh uh, it seemed pretty clear to me uh, that whole battle man it was just like i i just had put resmir and uh the red wizard in there to sort of like tease at hey this is what's coming up (laughs) and then they took the mask and i was like well there's no way in heck that they're leaving without that mask and so like they've got to get it and they tried to but everybody just kept like pushing them pulverizing them so to speak and um they were losing hit points pretty quick thanks to mal especially that wizard so then i was like i think resmir is going to be gone and i was like well shoot that's gonna that's gonna be rough but mondath he can get away and then fleeple at the last second was like yeah no no he's he's gone he's dead and oh my wow moves <laughs> exactly <laughs> I had his perfect anime moment uh, Mickey even added the perfect anime shing that noise when the when the wings extended it was beautiful uh, Thomas I'm curious did you plan that encounter as like a 4 V like 2 encounter or or did you know that I wasn't going to help them fight those guys at all <laughs> I at that point, we had been recording a few episodes, and I was like, I honestly don't know how Josh is going to play Ralph in this encounter, so I'm just going to present it as an option, and and I tried to I tried to keep my hands off of it, so to speak, of like, I, I didn't want to influence the outcome, which is apparent uh, now that you guys destroyed these people, um, but I didn't want to be like, they have to get away, they have to leave, they have to survive due to plot armor or whatever. I wanted to just be like, all right, we're going to play it how it is. And if uh, Josh helps out, that'll be helpful. But if not, then, you know, so be it. And I just did not expect the battle to go that way with Mondath and Resmir. And, how uh, could you have expected, like, a horse, uh, <laughs> an antler, demon person? So <laughs> Impersonation of, like, oh my gosh. another dragon. You know, like... <laughs> Yeah, the impersonation of uh, Lance was everybody. impersonating Mondath. We were fighting Wrath Modar and Yeah, Wrath Modar. I get his name wrong all the time. Yes. Yeah, I did not expect that impersonation at all and I was like, "Oh my gosh." As a French woman. <laughs> that was some some of the most chaotic 
combat I've ever participated in. <laughs> well, and I had like yes. I had flashbacks of back in college when we were when a bunch of us were on improv together. I literally was given a scene where I was made a French character and I could not get the accent. I kept doing German. And so right when they're like, you're going to be Mondath. And I went, okay, Mondath's French. And I just like got sucked back to like college years where I was like, oh no, I'm terrible at this. (laughs) (laughs) So I was was literally sweating doing a French accent because I'm like, I'm going to go German anytime. I'm going to go German. So I'm just like thinking, you know, Candlestick, Beauty and the Beast, Paris, Eiffel Tower, just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it was so nerve wracking (laughs) to do that accent. Uh, But yeah, it was kind of a big deal uh, that uh, Rath Modar and Resmir were killed, which I make note of in a future episode that's uh, been released as well. So um, it's it will have lasting consequences for both the Cult of the Dragon and for the jank squad so we'll have to see what those are yeah i think just to dovetail into another one i feel like this is the perfect time to ask another question from matt g who asked thomas on a scale of one to 20 how much chaos did you expect josh to bring and after it was said and done how would you rate that chaos (laughs) uh i expected josh to bring about if we're going one to 20 i expected him to bring about uh probably 12 maybe 11 uh, chaos. I was like, okay, you know, I, I've listened to him. I followed his uh, podcasts. I, I've, heard, I've seen him as a player and as a DM. And one of the big reasons why I wanted him on is because I know he cares about story. He cares about like character interaction. And then afterwards, I think it settled on maybe 17, 18 uh, of like levels of chaos of uh, regarding Ralph. But it was the kind of chaos where I was like, of course, yeah, of course, Ralph would do that. And um, of course, there's a Zentarum person who is actively trying to pursue rank is going to do that. And so it was just glorious. But the, most of the chaos, I feel, came from in that room when uh, he tried to rub Resmir's feet oh and, uh, and then was like, <laughs> and then was like, oh, yes, Mondath, we all knew that you were alive and then getting the treasure chest. And so all of that, like that's where that's where most of the chaos came from, I feel like, which just uh, dovetailed <laughs> right into the battle. I, I should say the, the first session we played, you know, meeting your guys characters, traveling to the city. There was a conversation that Thomas and I had in our in the in DMs between that session and then the session that event that evolved into the combat where um, I legitimately asked him, I said, I'm, I want to try and be as reserved as possible because I don't want to like overdo it as a personality, like joining your guys crew. I want to like, I want to contribute. I don't want to like be too crazy. And Thomas legitimately said, he said like, go crazy. Like, uh, like, please, <laughs> yeah. please don't hold back. Like unleash yourself. And that, and you know, then I'm rubbing uh Resmir's feet and, I think Thomas questioned his decision to unleash the. <laughs> oh no! It was fun. It was fantastic. Um, and boy, what what fun it was uh, to see uh, how it all shook out. Really. Now, now Thomas is in a support group with Reed, the Dungeon Master sneak attack. <laughs> I've been trying to reach out to him uh, for a support group. So if you could uh, pass that support group request along, that would yeah, be you most appreciated. You got. It. I don't know that he will respond to my texts anymore, so we'll see. <laughs> He's in rehab. <laughs> Josh rehab. We're still very good friends. 
All right, let's go to the next question there, Ned. All right, that's a blank, so we got a campaign moment question. Um, we've been talking a lot about the campaign real fast. If we could just kind of segue out of it, we'll segue right back into it. Um, this is a question that we were asked specifically, and I've also seen come up in other D&D groups and conversations that I've had about doing podcasts. And Mark Wells asked, what type of microphone do you recommend for somebody trying to do podcasts? Well, we have a lot of different types of uh, microphones in this group. I think the only ones of us currently who know specifically the model of microphone we're using are myself and Josh. And all of the rest of them are just kind of like whatever microphone happened to be available on Amazon, if I recall correctly. Yeah, mine I do not want to name because mine <laughs> I've had problems with and Mickey can attest to this. So I will not name names for my microphone. So what I'm hearing is, is it's the content you produce, not the microphone in which you produce it on. <laughs> and the room within which you're recording. That's yes, the, that is a huge I will say, thing. Like a quiet space that is locked off, that doesn't have like a lot of like audio reflective surfaces, like a wood floor or a tile, um, a tile room. Like if you're in a nice, like a closet is great. Uh, like a, a small, a small space. Uh, even, even sometimes if you want to be really good audio, just taking whatever mic you have and throwing a rug over yourself, <laughs> like to really st stamp out any any echoey sounds. But I think if you're if you ha if you have any lick of like AV knowledge, the Rode Pod mic is excellent. Like it's a it's an XLR mic. It's super cheap compared to most mics, and it records like excellently. Uh, with sne on SneakTac, we updated our whole setup. Um, we had like three, $400 mics uh, for each of us that we had like slowly acquired for the podcast. We ended up selling all of those and swapping them for these like, I think they're under $100, the Rode like pod mics. There's, there's not a lot of bells and whistles. They're really simple XLR microphones, but they're excellent. But that's like, you got to know how to like hook it up to a console, get it recorded to the computer through that. Um, so there's a little bit of, I think, audiovisual knowledge that's needed. Which YouTube could probably helps uh, bridge the gap. Like but if you're anything. doing if you're doing like a recording like you guys do, where you're all in different locations, USB mics are are, are excellent. Like the you, there's and there's not really a giant gap between like the most expensive USB mic and a cheap one. Like their your your quality is not going to be so drastic. Yeah, what I will say is we've already talked about like the importance of the space is huge. Um, also, mic technique is a pretty big thing. Generally, like if you can keep yourself close to the mic within a good range, you'll be able to make sure that the mic is picking up the sound of your voice rather than the sound of the room around you. So like if I just move back a little bit from my microphone, you can probably hear right now, yeah, my, my voice doesn't sound as good because the mic is picking up a lot more room noise in relation to my voice. But if you find that you don't have a very good space, um, that you just don't have like an enclosed area that has good sound baffling, if you have to be recording in a big, loud, boomy room, I really like dynamic microphones. You'll see a couple of major categories. You've got condenser mics and then dynamic mics. And a lot of older guides will point you towards condenser mics because back in the day, most condenser mics well, most USB mics were condenser mics. That's the Yeti Pro. That would be the uh, a good example. They do a pretty good job. I had a Yeti X that I was using for a while, but then I upgraded to a dynamic mic. I have the Shure MV7. And what's great about dynamic mics is 
they are really good at isolating what's right in front of the mic and separating it from the noise in the background. And so if you do have that good mic technique, you stay close to the microphone, it's gonna do a good job of picking up your voice, not a whole ton of other stuff. And the best part is there are more and more dynamic USB mics that are being released every day. So it's a, a good time to look into getting a dynamic mic. I agree. Um, the mic, I just spent five minutes trying to look for my old stuff or to talk about what mic I got, but I got it honestly back in 2016, 2017. So it's probably completely outdated now anyway, but it's a USB mic. I know I got it for 50 bucks and it was uh, advertised as a podcaster mic, um, but nothing special. I really think it's just uh, practice. And as Mickey has given us notes about certain episodes being like, Hey, uh, your computer was on or hey your AC was on or hey uh, and us trying to figure out if you could see the evolution of how we've been recording Ned had a tent over him at one point that uh, these uh, movers um, blankets wasn't blankets. it movers blankets yeah. yeah moving blankets on a PVC frame probably sounded nice and full though that was probably some great audio oh yeah <laughs> and Jacob uh, I mean uh, in, in his closet <laughs> Um, just surrounded by. I literally have a tent with little hooks on my uh, on my coat racks, just hooked on to keep the the moving blanket over me and surrounding me. Yeah, I mean it's just a matter of. I think there's a lot more that you can do to ensure a good sound being recorded right up front, other than buying an expensive mic. And there, some of them are very simple. And we, I mean, you probably go back to our beginning episodes. You'll notice that we did not have great mic technique. We did not always speak directly into the mic. We were always, and I still don't when I'm looking in books uh, at times, and I have to remind myself. Uh, there were a couple episodes where I would uh, take on the role of reminding people and being like, hey, and you say that again, but into the mic this time around. And so it's just getting into practice like anything. When all, another element I think of podcasting was Ned read a book about it and gave us good apps to use now. So now we run our audio through a levelator and then we use Audacity to record or GarageBand and and uh, editing it together. The quality of the programs that you're using also affect it. Because our raw audio, even with good mics and good areas and things, um, still need to be run through levelator and, and tweaked to really get good quality. Post-production is, is pretty key to, to quality audio. You do need to... Yeah, so reach out to Mickey on her technique that she does to because uh, she does quite a bit. It's rare that you're going to go straight from recorded audio to publication. That's, that's, a cool, that's a good way to sound like an amateur production, which... A lot of us did like so that's like so not no not knocking it you know what i mean yeah even if you don't need to cut anything and even if you want to keep every single word there is there's still post-production you have to do regardless of like oh well i'm not going to take out anything fine you still have to still have to work with it well, to make it sound and as better. a stark example of that we when we picked this name actually found that there was another recording thing out there that was called around fireball and we listen to it and it was literally that it was no post-production literally hey let's put a microphone in the middle of the table and just record ourselves playing some DD for two hours and it was like i don't think we have much competition here <laughs> i think we'll be okay i think i right. think people it, you know it was just the quality of the audio specifically i mean like i mean yeah they're getting the table feel which is exactly what every actual play wants to get but the quality i mean there is a stark difference um and just spending a little bit little bit extra time um either while you're recording or in post-production can really enhance it yeah for sure 
So to jump back into the story world of our podcast, and I also ask uh, Katie Florman had a great question of what was the biggest surprise that actually surprised you? A fun little moment for me. So there's that great bit where, you know, Fleeple is out in the middle of the air. He's a horse. He's going to be falling down to the water, going to break his bones on the water beneath. And Thomas starts narrating, yeah, and you begin to fall. And it was in that exact moment that I remembered that I had wings. Mm. <laughs> right. So I was fully preparing up to that moment to be like, yeah, I guess I'm going to fall into this water and take a bunch of damage. And then I was like, oh, wait, I'm going to sound really confident and like I knew what I was doing the whole time. Like, wait a minute, Bahamut blessed. Yes. Yeah, that, that surprised me as well, because I also forgot that you had wings uh, and was fully expecting <laughs> you to just pull them. And I was like, okay, Ned, I guess you're falling. And you're like, falsehood. I'm like, oh, what a plot twist, which we should have seen if we had. Yeah, that was that was a funny moment. That was like actually a surprise, which absolutely should not have been a surprise. <laughs> yeah, but I guess probably bigger than that were the fact that we ended up being as effective in combat in a lot of situations as we did. Like getting that killing blow on Rathmodar and then later getting the killing blow on Wanilium at the Bloody Bowl. I was absolutely not expecting that to happen. Yeah, quite a bit, quite quite a bit, and uh, I've said this multiple times uh in recording but i uh, i i create encounters and base them off of like the book uh and from the campaign and i'm like all right this should be for all intents and purposes referring to the dungeon master's guide referring to xanathar's guide referring to all of the stuff that i can see this should be a quote-unquote deadly encounter and then they just destroy wrath motor they destroy <laughs> resmir and i'm like what the heck what the heck? And the only time that I feel like I actually brought you near death's door was one, Mondath, where Lance actually went down. And two, in the tower with the Skitterwigs. Oh my gosh. Well, that's, That was, yeah. That was surprising to me. I was like, oh my gosh, like this wasn't supposed to be deadly. This was supposed to be only a difficult one. A fun side one. quest. And, uh, it was a fun side <laughs> quest. And just like to see it like, messing and like being so difficult for the party i was like wow okay uh i think i attribute that to the mechanic of stun but that's just me the most surprising moment that actually surprised me was we actually caught ralph because <laughs> josh was pulling out so many little things i'm like there's no way we're gonna catch him we're gonna lose the mask we're gonna freaking you know Josh just comes in, does what he wants, says, I'm out of here. <laughs> there was a moment I thought I would I thought I would make it. Yeah, I, there yeah. were many moments where I'm like, yep, Josh is gone. Josh is out. He's out. He did it. He accomplished, like, Ralph got his goal. And the most surprising moment was when we're on the beach and we're, like, we tied him up and, like, I stab him. And I literally was like. That was surprising. That I was, was like, surprising. okay, where, where's the... Where, 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 where's the rug? Like, <laughs> like pull the rug. Oh, look, it's not Ralph. It's actually, you know, somebody else. Like, it was disguised self. I oh, it's plot armor. Yeah, I was just ready for, like, something to happen where I was like, nope, we didn't get Ralph. We lost that. And But, yeah, it was surprising that we actually were able to somehow, through three minds, finally be able to corner one mind of Josh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm curious... 
Thomas, did you have to fudge the whole like uh, pocket dimension within a pocket dimension thing? Like, was this this the case that the dragon mask was in? Because uh, I remember when I when I said I shove it in my bag of holding, there was this like brief moment where Ned was like, oh, "Hold on, everyone, as the crunch expert, uh, this could be a problem." <laughs> Yeah, no, that uh, that was a good point. Um, thankfully, the dragon, ma- uh, the treasure chest itself was not like a bag of holding. Okay, um, okay. It, w- it was that, and that was like uh, what I was checking. I was checking in the adventure itself, uh, being like, all right, what? How do they describe this treasure chest? And I was like, okay, I know it has magical properties to it, or rather, there's magic inside, but it wasn't like a uh, folding space relic and for those of you that might be confused about what we're talking about in the dungeon master's guide when it talks about magic items um when it talks about a bag of holding which is fairly common uh, in DD now and i believe what's the other one is it a um a vanishing portal or a vanishing you've got the portable hole you've got the heward's handy haversack those extra dimensional things and so when you put because those are interdimensional objects and because those things aren't actually in the bag, the bag of holding, they actually go to the astral plane and items can be stolen uh, inside the astral plane uh, from somebody's uh, bag of holding and the portable holes and things like that. Yeah, as long you, you'd have to find them in the astral plane, but yeah. Anyway, but but if you put one thing inside of another thing, it's... It, 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 it rips a hole in the fabric of space and everything around it in like a certain radius gets sucked into it and thrust into the astral plane, which is why I was looking and verifying because I was like, oh crap. Okay, let's make sure that this treasure chest is just a treasure chest and not like a unique bag of holding that has been described and looks like a treasure chest because if so... Everybody's getting thrown to the astral plane, which if you know anything about uh, certain creatures that have popped up in the campaign and their relationship to the astral plane could be a very, could have been a very interesting side quest and stuff. So chaos um, level 21. So yeah, that was like, yeah, that was, that was me going like, Ooh, I might regret, I might regret what I just decided to do. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say real quick? I was surprised by horse. That was a very oh. surprising moment. Yep. Yes. Horse. <laughs> horse. I, I was surprised that horse didn't make it through the window based on the rolls. I would have I would have expected this beautiful cinematic, uh, cinematic moment of like, like shattering the window. Snowy River, this horse going <laughs> off the cliff. Server. <laughs> and, then, and then roll, Ned. You'd think something like that would have worked out. The moment on the couch where, where Ralph is surrounded by three beings that he does not recognize, but are in fact the three people he's been traveling with for the last like half a day, uh, and is like, "What is going on?" Like that was that was Ralph, but also a little Josh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's start lightning round in some of these. Let's roll it. Uh, that's another campaign moment question. Uh, was it intimidating to play with Josh? Katie asks. Yes. Uh, this is interesting because, like, you want when you when there's somebody who's really cool that you've looked up to, like Josh and Sneak Attack, are essentially the reason why I learned how to play D and D Five E. And so, like, when he showed up, I was wearing my Sneak Attack T-shirt that I'd gotten back in the day, and I was like, <laughs> I want to show this guy that I appreciate his work, but also I kind of want to be seen as a contemporary instead of as a fanboy. So, a <laughs> little bit intimidating. <laughs> 
Absolutely. I when I was uh, meeting with Josh for the first time, my wife was like, "Are you nervous?" And I was like, uh, visibly shaken, being like, "No, why do you ask me?" <laughs> and uh, just uh, that conversation, um, and we and I mean, Josh, uh, tribute to him. He's just such a such a fun guy. I mean, we just chatted for like two hours about life and just like oh, where we. Uh, just about anything, really. That was kind of a fun conversation. That was great. Yeah, that was really fun. I forgot about that. And then we finally started talking about like, all right, this is what I think would be nice in the campaign. Oh, man. Guys, that means a lot. I'm really glad. I I don't think I'm an intimidating intimidating person. <laughs> Turns out you're not, which is nice. Um, but I will say, if there's anybody who has any level of a podcast, like bigger than Sneak Attack and are the same size as Sneak Attack, and they're talking about themselves like there's something special or they've figured out some kind of trick to how to be it's total bull nobody (laughs) (laughs) we're all just people doing stuff and some of us got an audience and you know like it's like there's no there's no magic to the person it's it's you guys have an awesome podcast i think this podcast deserves to be heard by a lot of people so it's uh oh thanks i am i'm by no means on any different level and i don't think anybody anybody is Thank you. So that's my, that's my two cents on, on celebrity <laughs> or fame but in, in general. Well, thank you. On that touching note, we got to go fast. Next question. You shouldn't have invited me to this, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm going to be over here. Just I'm, I'm going to be Sonic for a moment. That is a plus. Thomas question. Let's see. Okay, this is a very interesting one. This comes from Anthony W. How difficult is it adding multiple sources to a pre-written campaign and keep it making sense and having a good flow and pace? And alternatively, what might make that process either than just, say, making a homebrew where you aren't constrained by a module story? Man, that is a really good question, Anthony. I mean, shout out to you for thinking about that because that is something that's been on my mind. And I I would talk to about... I would talk to my uh, good D&D friend, Ned, about uh, quite frequently, but he's a player in this campaign, so I can't talk to him about a lot of that stuff uh, anymore, or else, uh, spoilers. But um, I could talk about this, honestly, probably for a whole episode, uh, just the things that I've learned and discovered over the years now. Um, and who knows, maybe we have we will have it be a focus in uh, maybe a DM segment episode or some, some sort of like bonus episode that we do, some little word of recall, but... To keep it somewhat short, adding multiple sources, it is difficult. It is difficult, but um, the only re- one of the big reasons why we did add multiple sources to our podcast here is one, it helps give us a lot of flavor. Um, there were there were a couple things in Tyranny of Dragons that I wasn't passionate about. I wasn't crazy about, and I'm like, you know what? This section here, I I don't love. I'm not sure how I can make it exciting and fun. But this other thing from this other book could be really fun. Can I make this work? Lottie's Place was a direct uh, copy and paste from the Acquisitions Incorporated adventure. Candlekeep Mysteries uh, is was a heavy influence in uh, the side quest that we did there with uh, Heather and Caleb. Um, that was the literal adventure that we uh, used there uh, for all of that. And it just comes to comes back to uh, as a DM, if you're not passionate about a certain section, just find a way to either be passionate about it by maybe discussing with a significant other like I do my spouse um, for pretty much every aspect of this campaign or um, uh, to somebody else and see if you could find passion by looking at, at it from a different angle and if you can't then just find a way to incorporate a meaningful uh, meaningfully sidestep to reignite that passion 
going to the custodians was uh, an effort and success success in reigniting um, my passion for just fun quirky stuff that happens in D and D, which why which is why it was a fun little side quest for me because um, it reinvigorated me for a lot of the uh, heavy. Uh, Council of Waterdeep stuff and negotiations that were about to come come forth. So, uh, yeah, just do what you're passionate about as a DM, and uh, and you you will be able to f- find a way to make it work. But yeah, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more. Yeah, I actually would love to do an entire episode about hacking pre-written campaigns. Uh, I think that has a Ooh. lot of potential as like a Crunch Squad or something. Because there's so much good work that's been done, not only in uh, from uh, Wizards of the Coast, not only uh, third-party people who have created their own adventures, and you're like, oh, well, I'd have to run that whole adventure. I'd have to run a whole Curse of Strahd campaign to do this one aspect that I'm really passionate about. No, you don't have to do that. You can cut, a, you can cut and choose. You can take from other, dare I say, tabletop systems. Pathfinder, Paizo, has a, does an amazing job with all of their modules, why not use some of that in your D&D or why not use some D&D in your Pathfinder as well? So yeah, I think that'd be a really good episode to talk about. Yeah, but before we fully move on, just to answer kind of that second question of what might make this easier than making a full homebrew, yes, you have a lot of creative freedom with homebrew, but especially for like a new DM, it's really helpful to get a sense of how a campaign is structured. If you run through Curse of Strahd or Storm King's Thunder or whatever, you get a sense of how the game expects you to play, how DCs work, how uh, encounter balance works. You learn to speak the language of the campaign, and then that makes it easier to be able to write your own campaign afterwards. It's still a game, and you're using a system, um, a tabletop system, and so learning how to play inside that system, however loosely or uh, strictly you would like to do, is very beneficial before you go off and you craft your own homebrew world. I'm also a perfectionist, so I feel like I would have to come up with every little detail of my homebrew world before I could even step foot in it in a game sense, which would just be more of a hindrance creatively as opposed to getting a uh, pre-written module where I feel like I have a lot more creative license as well nice next question gotta go fast okay campaign moment at any point did any of the party just want to kill ralph but (laughs) held back because it would have been less fun since it was another player and not just an npc from matt yes jake a thousand times yes oh 100 i would have killed i would have straight up murdered that man I felt that. I really... That murderous but, intent was very visceral on the call. But going back to the foundation of what we wanted to, especially as players, you, with improv, with a lot of our improv backgrounds, you yes and. So I'm like, I am respecting Josh's choices. I am finding... And I think it bred so much more entertainment than just like, oh, I don't like this guy. Stab him. You know, that's one that even if it wasn't Josh playing, if it was an NPC, it still would be boring just to do that. Because it's just like, oh, okay, well, you know, we lost any kind of story arc or any kind of intrigue there. You killed him and moved on. You became a murder hobo. So, yes, obviously, like, if it was... If I was playing a video game, I'd be like, kill this fool. (laughs) Moving on. But because I didn't, and because we really wanted to stick to those principles, I, I mean... It would have been it would have been a terrible choice to do that because one Josh is a guest <laughs> you don't kill your guests and two it also again it, it 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 lacks creativity to take that route 
And so it was much more entertaining to find ways to get these people to work together, even while they're trying to steal things from each other and create what was created, this almost tentative truce between the party and Ralph. So it was fun. I like I liked the result. I think that's one of the interesting differences between playing for a podcast and creating content versus just playing at a table. Because you're right, like if it's an NPC, you're just playing at a table with your friends, you would definitely have killed them. Even maybe like a player, like you probably, if you were just doing like a one shot, you probably would have just killed them off. But I think in the back of all of our brains, especially because we're all storytellers and we're creating content, there is a little voice that's like, what's the best choice or what's what's the most interesting choice what's the best story motivated choice that's going to create good content or set of good moments for the story yeah i've i've talked to um the players here quite frequently over the years and just um with the intent of like what is let's not take the easy route as our players as our characters let's find ways that are gratifying and rewarding and oftentimes if you don't do the first thing that your character may want to do if like in this instance lance wants to kill ralph because of his relationship with vandal look at what happened as a result of that and the the journey that jacob had to take as the player was so much more satisfying for me as the dm at least and i hope for the audience as well to see that journey uh and i think that's a big reason why we at this table keep coming back to the game is because we keep finding those moments by uh not taking our first choice necessarily yeah i'm gonna loop in another question that we've kind of already been answering this is another one from michael sear he says josh played out an incredible party betrayal what do you guys think needs to happen so that PvP stuff can be fun and interesting rather than becoming something that upsets players at the table? Ooh, that is oh yeah. well well segued, Neg. Oh, Ned. Yes. thank you. And good and very apt question, Michael. Um, PvP. I have very rarely come across PvP that was enjoyable for everybody at the table. Very rarely, um, especially extended PvP. A lot of times it's. Um, more frustrating. Somebody's getting frustrated because one of their goals is essentially it's it, it's saying like no to them uh, when it comes to improv. They're saying, I don't like your choice. Therefore, I'm going to stop you with an attack and try to kill you or tackle you or put you to sleep. You end up hashing out like a, a real world frustration through your characters, which is not a healthy game yeah, play. The conflict should always be between characters and it should never be between players. That's I was I was gonna say one of the things that I, that st- sticks out to me is like in D and D you really when 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 PVP if PVP is ever gonna happen the goal should not be to win the PVP like that's a that's a very board game mindset like you're you're like you're playing Carcassonne and you need to beat everybody at the game but if you're playing a character the goal is to be the character and pursue what the character would pursue and so any attempt at victory in pvp is just the character's ends not yours and so you can kind of make more narrative choices rather than trying to like you know min max a victory or board game the whole thing or get get emotionally involved i'll point out something that josh did with ralph which is uh, something that i like to do with my characters broadly speaking is if i want my character to be liked then i make a character who likes getting along with other people I, make, I play a likable character, and Ralph is a likable guy. He's very charismatic, he's very charming. Sure, he's evil under the surface. I mean, 
evil's a strong word. <laughs> I will I will refer to. Uh, I kind of mentioned that I've had various instances of players who, going into the campaign, they were like, yes, I'm going to betray the party at some point. In one instance, the player is, you know, going to people at the beginning and kind of being like, you know, are you sure you're really cut out for this hero stuff? Or, you know, just kind of very overtly from the beginning, kind of showing their hand. Whereas the player who we've seen it do it best, I'm going to shout out Evan from Improv Tabletop. He's a phenomenal player. Yeah, Evan. He, from the very beginning, he's like, I'm going to get the eye in hand of Vecna and I'm going to take over the world. That's my character's goal. And the entire campaign along the way, he played a very likable, charismatic, fun character who even like one of the other players, their character developed a crush on his character because he was so fun and likable. And the, you got to play the long game. You know, when we got to that moment where he did steal the eye and hand of Vecna and tried to kill the rest of the party, it was very emotional. And we all left that like, Evan, I'm really mad at you, but also that was very, very well played. And it's one of the most like enjoyable frustrations that we had during that entire campaign. Yeah, but the, the point is like Evan wasn't PVPing the whole campaign. It was one moment and it usually, uh, PvP happens, at least how I feel, but you, you see it in like popular actual plays like Critical Role. It happens because emotions have been building for whatever reason and everything is coming to a head uh, and, and, and uh, PvP or rather violence is how, is one of the only ways to come to a resolution, but it's so rare it's so infrequent, and a lot of the times it usually results in the party dissipating at that part or a character leaving. Uh, it's it's never just like a I'm gonna attack you. All right, we're good buds again. You know, it's 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 uh it's always like something drastic is happening. This is a cl climactic moment, and therefore battle seems like the only option. And, and so yeah, it, it's it's rare. It, it's it shouldn't be happening. <laughs> with the same two characters every episode. And if it is, then the the actual <laughs> players behind the characters probably need to talk IRL. Yeah. Let's see, we do got to go fast, but this is a good vein. Any other thoughts on this before we move on? Uh, I have one. I So now being a fan of iCast uh, Fireball, listening to your guys' backlog, there was not a ton of party, inter-party tension at the beginning. Like, the three of you got along fairly well like um like there was maybe like a couple little like idiosyncrasies or whatever like chips on your shoulders but there wasn't a whole lot of tension then you guys all got to know each other like uh, the players the, the characters got all got to know each other and start to uncover different pieces of each other's backgrounds and like man where you guys are right now like like episode 70 plus it's rife with inner party tension it's like all of a sudden you guys like became a thing you got close enough to hurt each other to know each other and now there's this like i am i feel like you guys are definitely like you're dancing in those inner party tension moments where it's like yeah there could be a, a piece of pvp anywhere like it's like it could just what, what's interesting to me is and in your example as well ned it never seems like a surprise like it never seems like a surprise to especially the dm i should say like the like that's when I feel like it works is when it's it's not like a totally out of left field taking everybody off guard. I think reading his question, I think PVTP also can be insight checks. It can also Ooh. be oh, trying to okay. steal from people's stuff in the middle of the night. It can be anything where you are rolling against another player. And sometimes that can be 
really frustrating or really painful or really upsetting just to like, dude, we're on the same team. Why are you doing something against me? Yeah, like when I when I stole the story that Quilly, Quilliam, Quill, Quilliam, whatever his name was, when, when I stole the story that Quilliam had written down from the story that Lance had told him because I was going to give it to the library to get back in, I was like, actually, I feel terrible about this. I'm going to give it back. So I think just having those moments, but also you just need to trust each other. Like it really comes down to the cohesiveness of the table because all moments that we have had of PVP or these tensions, we have trusted each other to be like, this is, we're not screwing each other in the long run. This is going to somehow help the story. I think of Greenest where Lance is almost going to leave the party, but it wasn't ever in my mind as the player, like I'm going to leave the party. It was, this is a fun tension moment and we're going to see how this plays out to better the story with Fleeple again and his kind of cult ferocity when we were in the caldera and the tension that brewed there. It really helped solidify every PVP moment. If you treat it right and you have player trust, it creates such a more cohesive and strong unit to play with because you're not in the end actually out to screw each other. You are there to actually build with each other and tension builds. And I think sometimes that even comes from knowing that you can and you're not going to. Like there's there's episodes that are coming up to give a little, not a spoiler, but a hint at what's coming up. We have some stuff some awesome, awesome RP between our characters. And there are moments where Lance is really great of like, I'm not going to roll insight because she has already said this to me and I've chosen to believe it or my rules have revealed that I should believe it. So I'm going to follow along that line. But then Malamar's story will change and then that resets the role or whatever. So I think as a player, I just kind of, that trust is so important of like, I know I'm lying. You know I'm lying. Because, like, we know what really happened. But I have to, like, <laughs> trust that you're doing it because it's going to further the story, not just because you're, like, trying to get back at me as a character. Like, see, my insight's so great, I just want to smash your insight, your deception into the ground or whatever. That sometimes the the better choice is to not roll an insight. Sometimes a better choice is to to steal and then give it back or to go up to stealing it and then deciding not to, that sometimes the PVP tension is awesome and you have to decide, is it worth going through with the roles or is it worth pulling back and letting that moment kind of be what it was? Mel, that is one of... (laughs) Mel, Mark. Mel. (laughs) Mickey. Mickey. (laughs) Mickey, that is one of the best takes on PVP I've ever heard. I loved that. That's really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when in doubt, make sure the tension's always within the characters, never the players. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. End of story. 100%. Although I would be scared. I would be scared to meet Jacob in real life a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) We're beard bros. It's fine. We're beard bros. We're going to go get some pizza and we're going to just enjoy life. I just, you're in that, you're in your closet and there's just a little light on your face. And I just remember the moments where like Lance was getting upset and I'm just seeing like your eyes staring at the camera. I'm a good actor. Uh, Ned, would it be okay? Because we haven't had a lot of character questions. Could I lightning round a couple character questions for everybody? Let's do it. All right, we're going to lightning round. So starting with Mickey, if Malamara had decided to stay in the bloody bowl, what type of character would you have made to replace her? This is from Mark Wells, which, by the way, he loved the whole episode of the bloody bowl. I did too. So good. Um, I have always wanted to play, at the top of my list is a fighter (laughs) 
with a Battlemaster subclass. Yeah. Just because I've always yes. really wanted to do the superiority dice and like really like be a battlefield general and have that be the character. I just think that that would be so fun. That's like at the top you of the You would list. be very good at that. You would be mm-hmm. the tactician. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is really fun. So the, the support, but the support in a combat situation you and i were feeling that mickey with your flashback with your brother i mean uh i've always wanted to try out a battle master as well and uh sometimes i have to make npcs be my player my pc characters ned how dedicated is fleeple to stopping the cult is it to the point of any cost lance mal what is fleeple willing to sacrifice to stop this and that's from the wandering bard thank you yeah, so Fleeple, he, there's there's an episode coming up in which Fleeple does a very, very big thing. I'm, okay, let me preface this by a little bit of Josh's face right now, oh my gosh. Like, Fleeple um, is like the the purest, sweetest old. Oh, just wait. I don't, he, I don't want him to betray anyone. That's going to break my heart. <laughs> Here's the, th- yes, so this is where Ned, as the player, begins to shine a little bit through the tender veneer of Fleeple. So I, I don't often think of myself as a chaotic player, but in certain moments, I, I, I have my moments in certain moments. And a lot of this, I think, comes from what I've experienced with Improv Tabletop in the sense of like, sometimes the story just needs something really, really big to happen to make stuff move. And a, an example of what we've already seen so far with that is in the Bloody Bowl, when Philippe is like, this guy annoys me, I'm just going to summon Star Platinum and start a big old fight. <laughs> and I nobody else in the group was expecting that and after I did that I saw everybody else's faces kind of drop and I was like oh boy we're in it now Katie that was a moment I was not expecting just to go back to your question last time anyway continue Ned yeah and so like you'll you'll occasionally see these moments happen from Fleeple where I as Ned am like we just need to really throw a wrench in the story to make something interesting happen and in those moments we go into them and it's like you know we we don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this but <laughs> you know we talk about as well like when you get into a PvP-ish situation you have to have trust in your friends and by this time i have pretty implicit trust in everybody involved in this podcast to know that if i do i'm i feel like i'm trying to justify my bad behavior (laughs) but i i have enough trust in all of the people around this table that i know if i do make a big swing like that we're going to be able to figure it out somehow Yeah, Mickey and I will just start a text message. We have our text message plots against the DM. We'll just start one plots against Fleeple. <laughs> against Fleeple. There we go. What do we do if he goes supersonic on us? What do we do? Yes. So we we saw that happen in the Bloody Bowl, and within just a few episodes. At some point in relation to this episode, in very close proximity to this episode, Fleeple is going to make a very big choice that kind of has something to do with this question of what is Fleeple willing to give up or do to stop the cult. So stay tuned. Tensions have been mounting in the crew about certain topics, and Fleeple takes action. But just know, going into that situation... Ned didn't know what was going to happen on the other side, but he trusted that his friends were going to be able to figure it out. Mm. And that comes from us playing for years with each other. Yeah. 
Well, and it, it also, just to kind of wrap that up, it also goes along with Ned in any action Ned or any character takes. You also know, like, they're not just going to leave it there. Like, they're not just going to be like, well, figure it out. And if you don't, screw you. Like, no, they will actually find a way. Okay, how can I bring the story back? How can I bring and build it back? So, yeah, I agree. It's just the trust of the group. Our next question for speed round, so speedy, is for me, uh, for Jacob, it says, Lance, gave, giving away your scarf was so, this is from Michael Sear. Lance, giving away your scarf was so powerful. What made you feel it was a good idea to hand over such an important character item? So Lance still has the scarf. He tore off a piece of it, uh, specifically the piece that had already been bloodied from past events. Uh, that moment, though, of kind of divulging to Ralph a big character kind of stuff, which the party did you know, they're, 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 they might find out later, but uh, it was really almost like the idea of this guy, I almost killed him. Like I did. I actually, I knocked him unconscious. I literally killed him like in terms of, but then we didn't have him roll death saving throws. We, we whatever it's called, we sustained him. It was kind of like this guy, we already have, I have no invested interest in him. So it almost became an easier confide for Lance be like because i'm not invested in this guy i don't have any worry of how he's going to judge me for these things so it was it was almost like a natural way for lance to unload what he's been carrying for so long because he is worried about fleeple and malamara possibly judging him or possibly considering him different and especially with the scarf it's that moment of okay if we're really going to go along with ralph's plan of somehow convincing vandal that i'm dead i have to give him something that only i would have and that's the scarf like lance i mean he could hand anything to vandal that lance has and vandal could say well you could have picked this up anywhere the scarf can't be picked up anywhere it is attached to lance and vandal would know that and so that's kind of the reason behind that decision. Jacob, because I'm curious, do you think that part of the reason that like Lance, almost from like the, the get-go, was just had kind of like a, a chip on his shoulder against Ralph before you guys even learned much about him, do you feel like in some ways he sees like Ralph as what he could have been if he didn't like get out or like, uh, you know, a, a slimy peon of like of the bad guys that just was like serving for his own ends and doesn't really have any greater... Yeah, I think I, I I like that question. I think it's very much where Lance has been around characters like Ralph his whole life, and he knows that that's what his destiny possibly could have been, and he despises that because of what it has done to him. You could almost like taste it on him when you first. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, it was like were this like, guy's like, hiding ah. something. He's doing something, and. As soon as he's like, oh yeah, Vandal, I know Vandal. Lance had a moment, which he has repeatedly throughout this campaign, which is like, why didn't I see this? Of course this guy works for Vandal. Of course he's part of this underground network. I should have seen this coming. And so it almost pisses him off more. Not necessarily that, because he's met people his entire life who are part of this program and part of this group, but it's more of why whenever I give an ounce of trust do, does it immediately get thrown back in my face? So, yeah. Cool. That's fun. And it'll progress more in the coming episodes we got. Josh, this question is for you, though. Connecting back to what you just talked about, where does the Jank Squad sit with Ralph in terms of loyalty? How, at that final meeting where Ralph has been thrown out of windows and stabbed with poison and tied up and stolen from, do you like us? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is from Michael Sear again. <laughs> 
I yeah, I think Ralph likes you guys a lot. I think he like if if he wants to like just, you know, kick back and hang out with some people, you guys were great. Like, you know, he could he could piss off Lance and uh, you know, just really, you know, get get plastered with Fleeple and the <laughs> I think the person he was legitimately most intimidated by the whole time was Mel. <laughs> like, it was Mel. The uh, I think in terms of like allyship, I think he's you guys are as much of an ally as any relationship he could possibly use to his advantage is an ally. Yeah. And how does the Jank Squad feel? Do they consider Ralph an ally? Not after the first Council of Waterdeep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that episode's been released by now. Thomas, we still don't know what happened with that mask, and we are very upset. Ooh. Wait, what? I haven't listened to that one yet. Does Ralph show? Is does Ralph come back? Do you, does Ralph come back as an NPC? Do you no, see there's show no, up? there's no mask in the box that you gave us. Josh's <laughs> 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 oh, face. That whole arc, nothing was in the box. At least in terms of the mask wise and the cult. What? But it was. It was there though. It was there though, right? Like it was. That was the instant reaction. Was it's like the it's in there because we did the detect locate object thing, and so the instant reaction was Ralph had to have done something with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know what? It was. So we never opened it the entire no. time no. I was with we you. We never opened so, the no. box. Because like, because the. I, I'm sorry. I'm spiraling. <laughs> now. The the the. Because I did locate object, yeah. right? And the only thing that can block locate object is lead lined, like is a pretty thick, like lead covered case. And the, so that means that I detected it and then it disappeared. And I detected it in a direction. Like that was so like, we never actually saw the thing open and shut. So like, but, but also Resmir and the red, the red wizard, uh, med mage, like what's his name? <laughs> Rathmoda. Uh, dead guy uh, he um like they both they both also thought the mask was in there mm-hmm because they were like they were like fighting tooth and nail for it right like so you'd think what the they gave up their heck? lives for it it had a lot of jewels in it had a lot of money yeah. in it yeah we got bank for it but that is a big moment i'm like i'm wondering if like if like if like thomas like secretly like let ralph like steal it but i i feel like i feel like i would have i would have known so I'm, I'm now like, yeah. I'm now so confused. Like, well, and we, we even walk through it and we don't think, we don't think that's a possibility because again, you never opened it. You never were alone with it. No, it was, it was for sure there. Like it was for sure in that room, like in that spot of, but I of, believe of that yeah. what happened, I, this is taking longer than expected. I believe so what sorry. happened, <laughs> you cast to find it, you were led to that room, but then you, through another spell, detected the box being invisible, but you never connected the mask to the box. Wow. Was there a third person in that room before the fight started? Was it Was it just the two of them in that room when Ralph entered, or was there a... Oh man, I'm so oh, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, All right, so this, I know I'm. This has ruined the rapid pace, but I'm. Yeah, I'm sorry. like I'm now. I think I think every time we've said, "All right, let's go quick." We're like, "All right, let's take five minutes for the next one." <laughs> like, let's go quick. Five minutes later. All right, let's go quick. This is an ongoing mystery, but needless to say, right now the Jank Squad is upset with Ralph because they think that he messed up with the mask somehow. That's fair. I I'll say to the to the last the last uh, the last Ralph question. Is uh, what would it take for Ralph to leave the employee of Vandal? Money, power, friendship, power. That's it. Like, there's no other. 
Oh. Like, either he gets powerful enough to usurp Vandal or Vandal dies and he's not under Vandal's power. Like, that's like the... Yeah. The only way to get out from under Vandal is to get out on top. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And I think Lance, this this connects back to, again, our discussion of, uh, you know, like, oh, this could be you. What Ralph is could be Lance. And Lance being almost... He's so pissed at Ralph because he identifies so much with him. Ralph, the Jank Squad is a resource to Ralph and to Lance... Ralph is a resource, not an ally, a resource. Mm. Mm. Love it. All right, Ned. Yeah, shoot. How about we just end on like a really lighthearted, what's everybody's favorite cowboy phrase? Oh my gosh, not this one. <laughs> Thank you, Matt G, for this question. Is a, a roundhouse, a roundhouse something. Wasn't there like a haymaker on a Wednesday? Haymaker on a Wednesday. <laughs> now, what's so great about that one is Jacob came up with that during our warm-up before the episode started <laughs> and then called back to it. So it wasn't actually an official quote-unquote Lance uh, cowboy phrase. It was kind of an inside joke that managed to make it out to the public. Oh, yeah. That, that's We do improv warm-up games, yeah. Yes. I will say a sad note on that. The website I go to for cowboy phrases has been taken down. So I don't have the same <gasps> list anymore. Yeah, Tragic. I literally looked it up when this question popped up, and it's gone. I can't find that website anymore. So. Tragic. Goodbye, Cowboy Phrases. There's a lot of other websites out there. Well, that is pretty much about does it. Um, I think the, we only didn't really didn't get to one question. Sorry, Katie. We'll have to ask it maybe in a future episode, see if it comes up again. Um, but that's pretty much it. That's how we're going to end this week's episode of I Cast Fireball. All right. Well, Josh, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is it is always it's a pleasure. pleasure. It's so much fun to have you on. Um, we'll see. I mean, if Ralph really did steal this item, or if uh, something else happened to it, uh, and amazing! What an incredible reveal. That is now my most surprised moment <laughs> uh, that you found out live while recording. <laughs> so how things are going to unfold for the Jank Squad and uh, what new questions you may have for a future mailbag or word of recall episode don't forget to uh, feel free to shoot them over to us as quick as you want uh, we'll we'll keep a running list uh, and any of them that don't get answered by an episode we'll slap on here so don't feel like you have to wait until we ask for those questions just shoot them on over whether through an Instagram uh, through our social medias at iCastFireball20 or email iCastFireball20 fireball 2020 gmail.com feel free to send them on over to us as well as uh what you've got going on in your own campaigns in your own um adventures as well uh what things have you liked uh ralph doing would you like to see ralph back i, I would like to see ralph come back but we'll, uh, we'll see if uh <laughs> you just find a you just find a dead body in a talking sword that's like the oh. josh is now playing as jeremy the talking oh sword my gosh. <laughs> Oh, we just boy. equip him and then he <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh well. I'll give up my gift Yankee sword and take Jeremy. <laughs> take along Jeremy. Oh man. So uh we'll have to see if uh, we can see more of Ralph, but more importantly, more of Jeremy in the future. So stay tuned for future episodes of iCast Fireball. Josh, thank you so much. Round of applause to you as as always. Uh but in addition to Josh, Ned, Jacob, Mickey, thank you of course always for uh, joining us today. And Ned, especially on your birthday. Happy birthday. 
Yes. Thank you. Uh, If you'd like to hear more of Ned on his birthday or really any other day, maybe his unbirthday as well, go go look at Improv Tabletop where they have an amazing campaign going on using the Bleeds in the Dark tabletop system. It's fun. It's wacky. It's intense. It's got Avatar lore in it. Uh, It's just a good, good, good time. Go give them a five-star review and don't forget to check out their fake campaigns that they have in their backlog a whole year's worth. Um, That's our sister podcast that we're shouting out there. Uh, and uh, shouting out as well, Joshua's uh, podcast. He's got the Titans of Altera season three. He's got episodes still coming out. They are coming out. They are. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are coming out. But if uh, if you are not caught up or you want to get uh, just refresh yourself, they've got season one and season two out, as well as Sneak Attack, an entire uh, season one and season two adventure that they've got going on there um, which got us all into everything um so don't forget to shout him out uh and uh, leave them a review as well and to just go check them out as well uh lastly don't forget to like subscribe and share with your friends and fellow wacky adventurers but until next time i'm tom shrediam and around the table we have i'm mickey and i play malamara i'm jacob and i play lance thalen i'm ned and i play fleeple i'm josh and i played ralph let's keep that fire going everybody and we'll see you all next time